Well, hey, folks, Lisa with The Boundless Show here, giving you a shout because now that it's spring, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, <laughs> we want to remind you that the Ministry of Boundless and everything that we do, the articles, the show, the blogs, the social media, the community happens because you guys give. So if you love Boundless, would you help us in our spring giving campaign? You just go to boundless.org slash donate and give whatever you can afford to help the Ministry of Boundless continue, especially as we we start planning the things that are coming up for this summer and into next fall. And so we have some great ideas uh, that we want to accomplish, but you're the one that's going to help us make them happen. And so boundless.org slash donate to be part of the Boundless team in giving to the ministry that you know and love so well. Thanks in advance for your support. everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the boundless show lisa anderson here with you and a little preview of what's coming up later on for our inbox we have a girl who's getting messages from a guy on facebook uh she thinks that he likes her but she doesn't feel the same way but she's wondering like hey do i need to give him a chance is he my last chance what does this look like Uh, i'm gonna weigh in on that and then for our culture segment pastor jd greer is here with his new book which is literally titled what are you going to do with your life So if you don't know, I guess we better talk to J.D. Greer about this and figure out uh, what should we do. Uh, But no, he is a pastor and author uh, is going to have some great wisdom on that. Well, here we are for our roundtable. And uh, this conversation was inspired by a listener question that was sent to us. Not that we haven't received this question in about three billion ways over the course of Boundless's history, but it's always good to revisit it. And it is the question of how do guys feel about asking girls out? Like, is this like a no big deal? Is this like a just utilize whatever personality you have and get the job done? Is it like, I wish women would ask me out? I mean, where do guys fall in this spectrum? And so our gaggle of men who are at the table today, I'm sorry I referred to you as a gaggle. Our Mm. posse of men, or I don't know what. better. Okay, what, you know, the masculine term for that. Um, We've got Tim, Adam, and Josh here. Hey, guys. Hey, Lisa. Hey, Lisa. All right, so all of you have very different personalities. You have different stories. You are all now married, so you have crossed this threshold of you got someone to marry you. That's very exciting. Um, It it was exciting. Thank you for noticing. Yeah, it's a long shot. (laughs) But I want you to be honest. You're going to have to reach back into your dating days about what it was like to be interested in someone, wonder if you could ask them out. Are they out of my league? Are they in my league? Is there a league? Whatever. Let's talk about this. Um, I want to kick it off. Let's just talk about your general vibe Uh, around dating when you were dating (laughs) were you the guy who was like tried to be aggressive but you weren't really were you super shy were you like i'm gonna tell all her 10 girlfriends that i want to date her and hopefully they'll get the word out uh what how did you approach this in general yeah i was not the kind of guy who just went and asked girls out all the time i did not do that but i was also not super shy either i was very friendly with everybody, guys and girls alike, when it came to that time to let them know, all right, I, I'm interested in you. I want to go out on a date with you. I was not good at that. I was, I don't know why all of a sudden my tongue would get tied up and any other time that I had been able to be smooth and funny and get a good laugh. And I think she kind of into me. And as soon as it became, it's time for me to ask her out, I would lock up. I wouldn't know how to ask. And so I always had trouble with that. 
Um, Even with my, who became my girlfriend, who became my wife, even with her, it it was a struggle for a long time. It wasn't easy. I feel like, Tim, you might have had one foot firmly planted on either side of the friend zone. Was that you? All the time. (laughs) Okay. You were, (laughs) because you just seem like this friendly guy that's going to be like, you're going to, girls are going to open up to you. You're just super considerate. You're just, but you know. Yeah, that could get dicey. Oh, yeah. I was friend zone all day long, for sure. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Adam, what about you? Well, I'd like you to imagine a large dog. (laughs) Let's go with a Bernie's Mountain dog. Done. Enthusiastic, happy, untrained, and very affectionate. (laughs) Okay. So when a Bernie's Mountain dog leaps at you, what do you do? Do you hug the dog? No, you try to get the dog off of you. I was that dog. Oh, I was wondering which one you were. Okay. okay. Over <laughs> and over and over again, I was a very, very, very affectionate, engaged, enthusiastic, not mysterious <laughs> pursuer uh-huh. of, I need some sort of large biblical word, scores uh-huh. of women who <laughs> decided that they weren't actually ready for a relationship with that Bernice Mountain dog until it finally what? happened. Let's use the word legion. Legion. There. I like that. That's another, I okay. mean, it's a little demonic, but I mean, we'll roll with it. That's, I, somehow it just popped into my head. Okay, I'm very concerned about where this conversation's going. Josh, Dating style. I don't demonic. know. Josh, give us your, where were you in that season? You know, I think I was, I would vacillate. I'd vacillate between uh, this kind of cavalier, you know, watchtower. Uh, you know, an episode of Hitch, you know, the movie and or something. And it's like, I have to have a game. I have to have this, you know, uh, smooth style. And, and and you'd vacillate from that to just completely like, nah, that girl would never go for me. That She's got too much character and it, she's way out of my league. So I think I vacillated between both of those extremes and, uh, you know, just got dumb luck that my wife said yes. Thank goodness for dumb luck, yeah, right? Thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dating style, dumb luck. So, yeah. so what, you know, because I'm a female, I've definitely been in the, the ladies' clutches of, you know, uh, overanalyzing, chit-chatting about guys, whatever. Um, so I know kind of how that goes down and how we, like, project uh, situations upon <laughs> upon situation whatever but what talk to us about what's going through a guy's head when he's like thinking about i might ask this girl out is this like a long process of obsessing about it or is this like okay i just need to rip the band-aid off or you know i'm I'm gonna have to move on to the next person like because i think for women we kind of think like what's the big deal guys just ask us and we'll Hmm. let you know you know whatever which i think is totally bogus because women don't let you know they act all weird too so, but tell us, give us a guy's perspective on what's going through your head. Well, f- for me, I always made it to be a much bigger deal than looking back on it. It should have been, it became, it went from like talking to someone about their work. Hey, what do you do for a job? That's very casual, comfortable. But as soon as you're now interviewing for a job with that person, now it's very serious. You're going to dress up real nice. You're very concerned about what you're going to say. You might research ahead of time. You probably don't sleep well the night before. So for me being friends with, with people, there really wasn't, anything to gain or lose. It was just your friends. It's comfortable. It's fine. And looking back, I always wish I could have carried that over into, let's go on a date and see if this is something that's more than just a friendship. I wish I could have just casually suggested that. But instead, I turned it into my job interview, just like I would, hey, I just talked to you about your job. And now you're going to call me in for an interview. And now I become 
interview Tim. I become very different. <laughs> and I did that with, with in the dating world. I did. I, I took it very seriously. And I think in a lot of cases, it came back to bite me where I could have had some great relationships or who knows what would have happened. But thankfully, my wife was very patient and even would openly tease me about it. Like, you don't have to be th- that serious. We can just go on a date. I was hmm. like, oh. Yeah, so I was I was lucky. That was dumb luck that my wife yeah. recognized me floundering and yeah. was like, uh, why are you wearing a tuxedo That's or whatever? Very, very good. <laughs> I, I think my philosophy was always, I don't want to have the regret of wondering what would have happened if I would have just asked her out. And so it hmm. wasn't that hmm. I was particularly courageous or brave. It's just like, man, I, FOMO. I, I like her. And yeah, FOMO, I guess. I hadn't thought of it in those terms, but that's exactly right of, yeah, you know, see what happens. And man, I asked all kinds of girls out that were not in my league. And <laughs> I mean, exactly what you would have expected happened, happened every single time. But um, no, I, I think for me, I, I, um, I don't know. I just always really liked girls and, mm-hmm. and my like of girls overcame my fear of rejection <laughs> over and over again. Uh, until, you know, I think you do hopefully learn a little bit when things don't go right. I'm like, all right, I came on a little too strong there. Yeah. Or, you know, uh, girls say they want you to be clear and not all the things they say they want actually are not the things they want. They want them to be some mystery mm-hmm. and sort of spelling everything out. Like my wife, I asked her on our third date what her Myers-Briggs was. And she's like, I'm not going to tell you my Myers-Briggs, you know? <laughs> she holds That's... that close to the vest. Huh? <laughs> no, she's like, you're cheating. You want to use this information against me. And so uh, for me, I had to learn to relax. Mm. Um, yeah. But <laughs> I've got some great stories, you know, if we want to do a bonus podcast. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, I I was uh, generally just pretty timid. I didn't want to ask anybody out. And over time, that strategy wasn't working for me. So I started... um, (laughs) People weren't saying yes to your non-requests? Yeah, Yeah, non-requests weren't working for me. And uh, what I started doing was the strategy of just, okay, we would hang out with a group of people, and then eventually I'd try to see if I can break them off, right? And if you can break them off and... Kind of like those National Geographic specials Correct. with the weak animals towards the back of the pack. Get them away from the pack. It's, it's going to be more effective. And, and you just start to find out in conversation, like, hey, is this natural? Is this going somewhere? And uh, that was more of my strategy. And then I think by the time I got married at 27, so at that point, I think I was getting more bold uh, and just – you know, I spent a little bit of my career in sales, and so rejection's really good training for sales. And, totally, yeah. And so, <laughs> and dating and sales are a lot alike. Very similar, very similar. Mm-hmm. You're selling yourself in a sense, and uh, so eventually, I just started asking people point blank, you know, would you like to go out? And that ultimately had its effect. So, mm. okay, well, I'm glad you said that because that's actually my next question: is how can guys just do this normally? Because I would say, yeah, it's a very much a turnoff for a woman if she gets the impression that this guy has like thought about this for weeks, been stalking her on all her social media channels, like has found out her favorite color, her favorite restaurant, her favorite. And then, you know, it's just kind of been all that he's been about like we want we want the impression that he's just doing normal life and then it's like hey by the way in this spare moment i'll ask this girl out and we realize there's more behind it than that but how can a guy just make the ask and be normal about it what did you find eventually worked i mean for me it's as soon as i allowed myself to be comfortable 
she was comfortable. The more, like I, I said, I approached it like a job interview. You are suave, man. And so when I, when I was tense and nervous, guess how she was going to respond to me? I mean, that's, that's how my wife was. That's how any other girl I tried to ask out was. And when I finally just decided I'm going to get in whatever scenario, whatever personality, whatever environment makes me comfortable, and if she's good with that, great, we'll both be comfortable. That is really the only thing that helped me break through finally to my wife, who, by the way, was and still is way out of my league, but that's only because the Lord sh- provides. The Lord does provide. <laughs> it's dumb luck. But the bottom line is, I, I allowed myself to be comfortable. I I did go through a phase where I thought, you guys, a few of you mentioned mystery. I thought, oh, I just have to be mysterious. So I'll play my guitar. I'll grow my hair long. I'll wear <laughs> ripped jeans and I'll sing in coffee shops sad love songs about my mysterious past. And that does attract a certain type of person, but I'm here to tell you, it's not usually the kind of person you're going to want to date, let alone marry. Mm. I discovered that quickly, like, oh, I'm putting out the wrong signals here, and I'm not comfortable doing this. So I just went back into that comfortable mode where my wife and I got to know each other on a friend level, big friend group, Mm -hmm. actually, you mentioned that. And we got to know each other really well as part of a very platonic group of friends, and over time, as we're both really comfortable with each other, we both realized almost at the same time I'm more comfortable with you than anybody else. I don't have to be anything I'm not. Mm-hmm. And so that allowed that moment of, should we actually go out? <laughs> that weird question, mm-hmm. that, it allowed that to happen naturally. Mm-hmm. Okay. Lisa, you'll love my story uh, of meeting my wife, and I'm not going to tell you the whole thing. We had met briefly years before, and we were both leading singles ministries in different churches. And I bumped into her like two years after we had met the last time I'm like, Hey, we should get together and talk about singles ministry. I kid you not <laughs> for real. That's what I said. Like how to end singles ministry. <laughs> no, no, no. That, um, and she's like, Oh, okay. This yeah, could be a marriage ministry. That. <laughs> and literally that's the only time that line ever worked. Yeah. Um, but, um, but I think in all seriousness of building on what Tim was saying and people are going to be throwing stuff at me. And when I say this, I can, I can picture guys throwing stuff across the room. Just be yourself. Don't try to pretend to be something that you're not. And even, hey, you're really cool. I would love to get to know you. Let's spend some time together or let's go get a cup of coffee or, you know, whatever happens in 2021 since my last date as a single person was a minute ago. Mm-hmm. I uh, uh, I would be that guy throwing something at you, you know, <laughs> yeah. back when I was in my early 20s. There, there was this time I went... I was doing my approach where I was doing the group thing and then I, I peeled her off and, and it was just her and I and we were starting to spend time together and we'd watch movies together and uh, we would have meals together and I remember this this one particular gal and she invited me up to a Bible conference at her college and I was like, oh, this is this is big. Bible like, college. She's invited me to something and I'm going to this Bible conference. And so I thought this was a great time, great opportunity. So this is the week I decided I'm going to ask her if we can just be exclusively dating. And we met up at a coffee shop, like in between sessions of this Bible conference. And uh, I said, hey, you know, I've really enjoyed all the time we've spent together these last couple months. And I'd love for us to start dating. She goes, huh? I go, Wait, yeah, you know, like wait, what? you and I, like I, I would put it out there. I was just myself. And uh, she's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, we, we've been going out for like two months. And she's like, 
huh? <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, no, we have not. And uh, that's how you know you haven't been clear enough. Yes, yes. So, yeah, I usually am pretty direct and clear, but apparently I wasn't in those early couple months. So, I think knowing that you can be yourself, like Tim said, with someone that says something a lot about what kind of relationship you have with them, but you've got to be more than yourself. Sometimes you have to be like clearer than maybe you're used to being. Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah. that is a very vulnerable thing. And I think to me that was a good litmus test looking back on is this a woman that i want to spend the rest of my life with i I allowed her to see me in a vulnerable state of Mm -hmm. i like you i'm not sure if you feel the same way if she had responded in a way that was mocking rejecting whatever Mm -hmm. like what are you talking about then i would have known immediately that would have kind of shut it down like at best we're friends but she not only did she reciprocate but she also she made me feel comfortable i talked about comfortable immediately that it's okay to be vulnerable with me because i'm not going to hurt you Mm -hmm. and so i think that is a great litmus test for is this just a friendship or is this someone who i can be vulnerable and kind of expose who i really am inside to this person it's not a friend group anymore it's just here's who i really am what do you think about that and if they turn you down then i promise you regardless of what other things you might have found attractive about them if they aren't accepting you in your vulnerable state then you actually dodged a bullet there. You don't want to be with someone who is going to reject you when you put yourself out there like yeah. that. So yeah. to me, it's almost a good thing. If you're rejected, it's like, all right, well, that's one more person who I was not supposed to be with. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's are, exactly right. <laughs> okay. So are you okay with, because that's a, that's a good question of, that many women ask, is what's a way that I can turn a guy down that's not mean, but that's very clear? Just because say no. <laughs> no, I'm totally serious. Like, okay, wait, wait. Finish your question. Could, could you, finish your no. question. <laughs> I was going to say. Flashbacks to dare. Okay, yeah. Adam, please uh, restate that. I'm not sure I totally understood <laughs> what you said. But <laughs> just say no. What? No, communicate clearly. Like, okay. I think sometimes in the name of wanting to spare a guy's feelings, women don't communicate clearly. And, you know, the guys in dumber, dumber mode is like, so you're saying there's a chance because, <laughs> and you don't have to do it in a mean way. You can say, you know what? I appreciate your interest. I'm, I'm not interested in, in going there. And it's respectful. Like when a guy takes a risk, man, he is out on that limb. Mm-hmm. He is taking an emotional risk, have enough respect for him to respond honestly, yeah. even if it's uncomfortable because he's going to figure it out anyway. Uh, and, uh, you know, so yeah, just say no clearly I, and kindly. I do think it's good to say no, but I also think, especially if you're friends with the guy and he asks you out, I would say it's okay to also encourage him. Like, I'm not interested in you that way right now, which actually was the case with my wife. She wasn't interested in me that way for a long time when we were just friends. And she made that clear early, but she never, she never shut me down. She just said, maybe someday I'm just not interested in dating anybody right now like and so for her that was the case and so maybe for you it's anybody maybe it's i'm not interested in you right now but also it's okay to let them know but just so you know this is not a reason for you to not ask anyone else out or to ask me out again someday like give them whatever encouragement you can provide clear is good don't make it sound wishy-washy but i I do think it's good to give them that encouragement that i'm glad you asked though because i wondered if you were interested in me i'm glad you asked but not right now or yeah or never, whichever you need to say. As long as that's not an excuse for not telling a hard truth. Yeah, right. that's true. Like, I think sometimes that's, that's yeah. a cover for, I know I'm not interested. I know I'm never going to be interested. Yeah, that's well, fair. For right. these gals who are listening right now who 
I've tried that. They're thinking, I've tried that. I think it is absolutely okay to be what you would consider mean or direct or harsh because there's some guys, they don't get it or yeah. they don't want to take no for an That's answer. Mm-hmm. And there's some times where it's, it's absolutely okay. Just be, I have no interest. Like, you don't yeah. have to lead with that, yeah. but you might have to escalate to that. Yeah, yeah. I think true. too. It's escalation, a good... <laughs> predation. It's, it's a good... interesting. You know, <laughs> it's a good thing I think for guys to remember too. And this is from a from a girl's perspective that remember you have thought this through. You right. have probably planned this out. You've been scoping her out. You have done this work in your head. She's just hearing this for the first time. So the more you can make it about like. Yeah, you know, I just want to do coffee or I want to do dinner. Like, make it an attainable ask. Mm. So it's not like, I mean, I have, I actually had a friend who had a guy tell her that on their first date, he wanted her to watch this entire R.C. Sproul series and give her feedback on it. And it was because romantic. (laughs) Yeah, what's wrong with that? He was already into like wife material mode because he had built up this whole thing about her in his head. And so it was like, I need to know, are we going to get married? Are we going to get? And she was you know, just freaking out. And so it's like, okay, that was a little nutty. Yeah. Okay. Last question that you guys have to weigh in on. Okay. A guy is rejected. How does he move forward and continue to ask and have the courage to ask despite one, two, multiple rejections 35. and mm. not devolve into the bitterness, the anger, the, the lady bashing <laughs> that some guys do? The great theologian Wayne Gretzky said, <laughs> you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Oh, Wayne. Okay. He, Wayne. That guy. He's like my spirit animal. Yeah, uh-huh. he's, he knew what he was talking about. So... Uh, yeah, you got to keep trying and, uh, yeah, just keep going. Okay. I think that's good advice. I also think, again, going back to the, to the job comparison, I, I wouldn't give up job hunting if I had a bunch of bad interviews in a row. You just, you keep going. You, mm-hmm. you have yeah. to, f- I do believe that for the most part, God wants us to find that person. And sometimes he doesn't, and that's okay too. And I think there's a combination that balance between finding peace and contentment with whatever situation in life you're in. Maybe that God has you to be single for your whole life or most of your life or a certain portion of your life. Maybe he has you find someone to get married very early on and have lots of kids. Mm -hmm. There's all these different plans and there's different paths that he has laid out for us. And I think finding that contentment where when the door opens, I'll ask someone who God has put in my life that I've connected with. But if you're just out there every night at a new public location asking out strangers, then yeah, you're going to get turned down a lot. And yeah, you're going to become bitter. Because maybe on movies you saw someone having success that way. That's just not how it works. And I don't think that's a healthy way to approach it either. So I would say that if you're creating a ton of close friendships and and maybe you're getting rejected a lot in that uh, atmosphere, maybe, maybe that's time to really seek after God and find out what is it that I can do to be content with my current state and then just allow him to open that door for you. I don't think desperation is the answer, but I also don't think bitterness is the answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and Adam, I'm going to need you to back me up on this because I know you did this. Maybe it might be a good time to get some good feedback from people. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, how am I putting out this ask? What kind of, you know, what vibe? Am I, uh, you know, Bernice? Um, <laughs> Bernice I, Mountain Dog. Bernice Mountain Dog jumping yeah. up on people. You know, because we sometimes aren't self-aware about that. No, that's right. And and I think being in relationship with other guys is important, too. Yeah. Because yeah. Uh, I know men can get, you know, sometimes pigeonholed as not being relational, but they give support. They give feedback. Um, and be honest about your emotions. I mean, I got rejected 
a whole bunch of times and it's awful. I, I hated it, yeah. mm-hmm. but I think for me, it was sort of like what Tim was saying, like, well, if I want to get married, it's not going to just actually magically happen yeah. without me taking some initiative. So my desire to be in relationship ultimately overrode my fear of rejection. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after a while, it's like, okay, that didn't work. Mm-hmm. And you know, some of them are worse than others. Some of them were <laughs> some ugly situations, you know, I'm glad that ended with situations, you know, <laughs> try it off and get back on the horse. Maybe I'm mixing my metaphors yeah. there, but I know there are probably people <laughs> listening who are thinking, yeah, but you don't know what it feels like for me. Like it's been rough for me. Every time I've asked, it's gone poorly. And I, I do really empathize with that because I've gone through those stretches in my life too, especially at the end of high school, beginning of college. I had a long stretch where I was like, does God have anyone for me? I had those mm-hmm. moments. Yep. Is there anyone out there for me? So I remember those feelings. I remember how awful that is. So I'm not trying to minimize that at all by no. saying, just try again or just you know find out how you can be better next time. Like that's not – I'm not trying to – play it lightly that way. I do understand that it's heavy. I would say for me, I was able to find um, contentment and find things that were satisfying in life outside of relationship with the opposite sex. Guy friends, Adam, that's a great suggestion. Mm -hmm. Finding a core group of friends that uh, you can be buddies with, go do fun stuff with. That's Buy a great a outlet. With. Uh, yeah, we all bought motorcycles. It was awesome. That's oh, good. super healthy. <laughs> um, but there's also there's other things. There's hobbies. There's other interests you can get involved in that you can retreat to and say, okay, here's some somewhere where I can find contentment and happiness, and take a breath. And then if the opportunity comes up again, I'll give this another shot. So it's it's a combination of don't give up, but also don't beat yourself up. Find happiness elsewhere in life and realize you. Even when you do find that girlfriend and eventually spouse, guys, or for girls, the husband, um, I, they're not going to be the be-all, end-all. There's going to be mm-hmm. disappointment there, too. There's going to be things that you're going to say, wow, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. And you're going to have to take a breath there, too. Yeah, they're yeah. making that person more than they were ever meant to be. And that's that not point. fair to them. Yeah. yeah. Well, good, good points, you guys. And we're going to take this over um, to social and beyond because I know many of you are like, okay, well, here's my story or here's what I think or whatever. So we want to hear kind of what your experience has been in this space, um, both guys and girls being on the giving and the receiving end of this and what it looks like. And hopefully we can encourage one another. But you guys, thank you so much for putting it on the line on this. I appreciate your wisdom and insight. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Lisa. From inside this prison, build your relation, kill your religion. There's 38,000 versions of Christian twisting the word to fit how they are living. Heaven, help us live like we're saved. In one hand, the truth, in the other, the grave. One hand is free, and the other's a slave. Love is a key to like he's the cage. everlasting love is. Only kind love is. Always patient love will. Right, folks. Well, for this week's culture segment, I am welcoming uh, to the show J.D. Greer. J.D., welcome to The Boundless Show. 
Thank you, Lisa. Honored to be here. Well, it's fabulous. Uh, Many of you listening, uh, for those of you who don't know, J.D. is pastor of the Summit Church out in North Carolina, Uh, but he is also uh, serving now as the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, All of you Southern Baptists can give a collective cheer out there. (laughs) Hey, shout out. Um, but then in his free time, he just writes books and <laughs> speaks and in all in all his extra time. Um, but he's also married and has four kids and is doing life out there on the East Coast of the U.S. Um, so we're excited to avail ourselves of his wisdom today. We're going to actually talk about his newest book, which just came out uh, this past fall, titled What Are You Going to Do With Your Life? Which I feel like all of you are like, uh, that's the title of my biography. So what? are we talking about here? So, um, but he's going to give some great (laughs) insight. But um, JD, I want to give you the opportunity first and foremost, because clearly uh, people in our audience are following the news, following social media, whatever. We're trying to recover from a year of being either angry or unsettled about seemingly everything um, and trying to trust God in the process. You are, as I said, uh, president of the SBC, And Beth Moore, um, whose studies I have done, love her, just announced her departure from the SBC saying, and I think this is a quote where she said, I don't identify with some of the things in our heritage that haven't remained in the past. And of course, people are like, well, she was anti-Trump and blah, blah, blah. Okay, she seems to, you know, whatever the SBC is, you don't seem like, let me just say, quote, unquote, that Baptist, you know, whatever this elusive (laughs) thing is that everyone wants to put, make her act like she's saying, Um, but you're in charge, you know what? And so what does that mean for you and the denomination going forward? I know you mentioned lament even on Twitter. What? You're saying there's some controversy? Well, I hadn't heard about any of this. I don't Uh, know. I'm just just, (laughs) Just, uh, just guessing. Asking for a friend. Exactly. Yeah, um, so, well, first of all, let me just tell, you and I have talked about this before, but let me just tell you what an honor it is to be on your show. I've told you that I felt like I was discipled from the time I was a kid, listening to Focus on the Family in the back seat of my mom or dad's car, just driving around the city that I grew up in. And so, um, I just, this this ministry has had a big impact on my own life, and so I'm, I'm just very grateful to be a part. Thank you for including me. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the thing with Beth, uh, Beth is, I, I've been very privileged to call her friend for the last well, really for the last couple of years, and um, a lot of the things that she has struggled with in um, the SBC are things that I struggle with as well, um, you know, things that are, are more in line with cultural Christianity or really identifying the, um, the church with things that are not essential to the gospel, you know, when it comes to what kind of politics that we take, and there's a lot of really important questions, but, you know, the unity in the Church is found around the main thing, the the, the gospel. And, you know, there's a lot of things that have just been attached from, whether it's Southern culture, um, that have just been a part of, I mean, it's just part of who we are as people sometimes, and we don't know how to separate those things. And Beth was particularly, I mean, if you pay attention at all, you know, she was attacked by some people um, in our in our convention, and I understand why it was difficult, and I understand honestly where some of that brokenness really in her kind of kind of came from. Um, I, when you say I'm in charge, um, the you know the, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention is not an authoritative figure. Um, I you know I represent, I, I lead the, the conversation among Baptists, and I champion certain things. Um, what I've been encouraged about is over the last um, two or three years, especially, but even before that, 
Um, we see the trend of what God is doing in the SBC. We see um, the way that he is diversifying the leadership. We see that there is a rising generation um, that is filled with young people, um, young adults, college students that believe in you know, the historic kind of evangelical faith that want the gospel to be above all, that want the Great Commission to be what we come together about. And when you look at where that momentum is going, I actually find a lot of reason for for encouragement. Um, we are, you know, there's been no change in, in kind of the, the hold on that conservative um, theological doctrine, Baptist doctrine. There's been no change in our mission, but we've recognized there needs to be a change in our culture. I'm very grateful for the way Beth has influenced that and spoken into that. I continue to count her as a friend. I'm disappointed that she won't be you know, officially and formally with us, but um, I think there's a, there's a lot of reason to look at what's happening and where the trajectory of this is going and be very, very excited. You know, I, I give you one or just quick thing here, um, Lisa. You know, by the time we get to 2030, um, one-third of the 50,000 Baptist churches, Southern Baptist churches in the country will have been planted since 2010. Um, last year, 65% of the churches that we planted in the SBC were um, led by people of color. Um, now, all that means is that we recognize that as the United States changes, um, we are as well. That doesn't mean that we change the, that historic doctrine, the, you know, the inerrancy of the Scripture, the exclusivity of Christ, the complementary roles of men and women in the, in the family and the home and the, and the church. But um, it does mean that um, we understand that we have to adapt to a changing culture in the ways that we must, and we've got to um, do it in a way that, that puts the gospel above all and matches gospel doctrine with gospel culture. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. And I'm just thinking to myself, you know, being uh, here in, in Colorado Springs, I'm a member of a PCA church, Presbyterian Church in America, all you Tim Keller fans. Um, but, you know, I, I know that collectively and corporately, our denomination just did an apology for uh, behaviors from the past, you know, that they said it, it's appropriate to name stuff and to repent um, as a denomination. And, you know, we're, we're grateful that they did. And now we move forward. And again, the gospel has to be central and we have to be mindful of that. And I think it's great anytime we're just called to to look and be like, where is the heart of God in this? And what what does this look like? And how can each of us be uh, be acting out of humility with our brother and our sister? in Christ as we as we do this and know that Christ is ultimately supreme in this. So I appreciate the thoughtfulness in that and coming yeah. after that. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, meanwhile, I feel like, you know, we'd probably agree that the best way to truly affect change in the world and in our culture is to let God grow our own hearts and change us and sanctify us and love others. And so um, I, I'm so excited that you wrote this book titled, What Are You Going to Do? <laughs> with your life, which is, I hope there wasn't a big committee that had to sit around and come up with that title. Cause that's like, <laughs> Hey, here we are. Um, but it's so great for, especially for our audience. And, um, what I want to kind of start off with asking you is, uh, clearly you, you talk in the book, you kind of lead by saying what was now, it has to be like 20, 21 years ago, you were hearing uh, John Piper speak at, I think it was the Passion Conference, telling this story of a retired couple uh, chilling out in Florida on their boat and collecting seashells. And you kind of describe it as shaking you to the core. And what what caused that statement by him to make you start thinking through your own life and ultimately write this book? 
Yeah, I mean, great question. A lot of times I think people, um, I mean, especially when you're young, you throw around the words life-changing a little bit too casually because you really don't have the perspective yet to see that something's changed your life until you get a, a good ways past it. And I look back now and realize that at that season of my life, my life really changed. And part of it was this message that I heard Dr. Piper preach on essentially throwing away your life, wasting your life, um, meaning like you're in church and you're, you've got a job, and a respectable job, and you're paying your tithes and you're going to Bible study, but getting to the end of your life and looking back and saying, I did not live for the things that really matter. Um, there was a, a missionary um, years ago, 100 years ago, by the name of C.T. Studd, who was one of his generation's most famous athletes. He was in England and at the top of his game and one of the most famous people in, in all of England, but just understood that you know, people without the, are all around the world. Um, really, when you die, there is one question, one primary question, and that is, did you know Christ? Did you, um, are you prepared to, to meet him? And so he, you know, stepped out of his, his, his lucrative professional athletic career, and he, he said, I, I want to be used where the gospel is most needed to be known. And he, he wrote a poem that used to be, my dad used to quote it to me all the time when I was growing up. It's The last phrase of it is, only one life to live will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Um, well, Dr. Piper quoted that in that sermon, and I think it's one of the reasons that it just it, it, it kind of rang something deep inside of me to say, what has God given me? And with the 70 or 80 years that I had left, you know, so to speak, um, uh, what was I investing it in a way that I would not regret it when I got to, to the end? And one of the things I really try to show in this book is that um, our Christian generation, by and large, has bought into a myth about calling, and that is that if God wants you to do something significant in his kingdom, then he'll, you know, write it in the sky, or he'll appear in your Cheerios, and he'll, you know, spell it. It's something magical and mystical that happens. What, what I try to show in this book is that the calling to leverage your life and your gifts for the Great Commission, that was included in the call to follow Jesus. Yeah. Um, Jesus said, Matthew four nineteen, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. Which means when you accepted Jesus, you accepted the call, really, to, to, to be involved in the Great Commission, to be involved in ministry. So the question is no longer if you're called, the question is where and how. And so I wrote, what are you going to do with your life? As a, as a way to help people not only discover that question, but find the answer to it. Yeah. Well, and it's so good because I think it's, you know, ev- everyone listening right now, certainly I find this um, more maybe voiced more overtly by younger generations, wants their life to matter and to do something significant. But we're so messed mm-hmm. up because especially those of us in first world countries, everything else is vying for our attention. And we're trying to you know, I mean, this sounds crass, but we're trying to like do Jesus well and like do our mm-hmm. faith. But then we also want the American dream. We also want to be famous. We also want to be, we want all this stuff that our culture is promising us. And I know uh, I was kind of chuckling because in the book you talk about like, uh, and I find this hard to believe. So you need to be honest with me. You say that there are only four <laughs> things in your life that lived up to your expectations that you had for them. And that drove into you saying, that we all need to 
to just check out our bucket list. So I want to talk about this for a minute. Talk about, first of all, let's, let's talk, you know, mention the four things that actually lived up to your expectations. Fortunately, (laughs) one of them is your marriage. So praise God for that. But, um, (laughs) but then, you know, the fact that, are you just like less, less uh, impressed than other people with life or what, JD? Well, let's let's make sure let's set the context for that that question. It is a chapter about how a bucket list is something that many Christians I find kind of have a, a list of things they want to get to before they die. Because the idea is, if you don't do them before you die, then you'll never have a chance to experience them. Yeah. It's also captured in that little acronym YOLO. You know, you only <laughs> live once. The scriptures teach um, quite the opposite. It teaches not YOLO, but YALF. You know, you actually live forever. <laughs> and if you understand that, and you understand what the Bible teaches about about the, the, the new heavens and the new earth, you know, it's not a, cl- you know, a cloudy existence where you sit around, you know, like a baby angel in diapers with a Nerf, you know, bow and arrow playing your harp all day. Um, really, the new heavens and the new earth are a, re- a renewed version of the heavens and earth, which means that everything you love down here, you get a glorified version of up there that, um, that, that is, is all of the things we loved about this one, but without the curse and the taint of sin. And if that's the case, you no longer have to, you no longer have to put all these things in your bucket and say, I got to get to Hawaii and I've got to fly to the moon or, you know, whatever it is, climb Mount Everest, whatever you want to put in your bucket list. For some people, it's even something like getting married. You know, they're 45 years old, 50 years old, and they're thinking, I'm never going to be able to get married. I'm never going to experience the, that joy of, of marital romance and intimacy, and, and I've just, you know, I've got to give up on this. Well, if you understand what the Bible teaches about, about the new heavens and the new earth, you realize that, that there's nothing that we actually um, are going to be deprived of because God is, is taking us there. So I started the chapter by just talking about, you know, basically everything in my life has disappointed me. And I, I mentioned four things. Let me see if I can recall them off the top of my head. One of them was getting saved because, I mean, who can possibly talk about how good Jesus is? You learn more and more about him the, the longer you walk with him. Um, I said that my marriage, just to be totally honest, was both more joy-producing and can be more, you know, has been more difficult at points than I ever imagined. But it's lived up to the good parts of, um, of my hopes there. Um, I mentioned that going to Hawaii and skydiving were the only other two things <laughs> that hadn't left me a little disappointed. Mm-hmm. And that's because I'm, you're, you and I are created for eternity and to have an experience with God apart from sin. And we're not going to heaven because, you know, we're not looking forward to heaven because of the, you know, the, all the glorified things from earth that are there. But, but it does show us that, that we don't have to live with such an earthbound view of, of what we're striving for. There's only one thing, only one thing that we will not be able to do in heaven um, that we can do here. And that one thing is bring people to Jesus. Mm-hmm. This generation of people all over the world, the only chance they have to hear the gospel is you and me. And if you understand that, then what you'll put in your bucket list, what you're going to put there is, the, you know, the, the opportunities to tell the people in your life and in nations all over the world about who Jesus is, because you and I will never get that, that opportunity back. Yeah, that's so true. And I think it, you know, again, I think we realize that that looks different for different people. And it, you know, mm-hmm. I, the tension there is the difference between 
doing nothing, either out of fear or out of, you know, you just want comfort or, or whatever. And then the other extreme of, of trying to save the world and being responsible for the saving of everyone's <laughs> souls, which, um, right. hello, let's leave that to the Holy Spirit and Christ. Um, but how do we be faithful in the middle of that? So, you know, working jobs as people get married and try to raise families, how to be faithful without falling into a performance trap of... I have to do this to impress God or be add to my salvation and all the stuff that we know isn't biblical. Yeah, another great question, Lisa. Well, you mentioned that you were PCA. Um, my <laughs> wife uh, actually grew up PCA, um, so um, we I felt like we always had a very interesting you know marriage at least at the beginning. Um, <laughs> you basically I baptized her, made her quit drinking, and told her it was all predestined to happen. That was our our kind of our, our, our union. So but what you're um, saying, JD, is. What you're saying is she had to settle. We understand. It's okay. We all settle in marriage. It's good. Hey, I had a Pentecostal friend, so we figured when the three of us were all together, we were predestined to speak in tongues at a potluck dinner. Uh, that was, you okay. know, how. But anyway, all right. So, um, but he, so for a PCA and a Baptist, this might be a little surprising, but do you know the denomination that does the best job in mobilizing its people for mission? When I saw that question, I thought, for sure, it's the, it's the Baptist. I mean, <laughs> missions is kind of our thing, right? I mean, that's, if you go back and you think about some of the famous missionary heroes or even think about some of the great, you know, mission-motivating speakers today, you think you, a lot of times you, you think of a Baptist in that role, or at least Reformed um, people. Well, this article showed that the, the, the denomination that does the best job at mobilizing people for mission are the Pentecostals. And the analysis, I thought, was fascinating because it said that Baptists and Presbyterians, we talk about the weightiness of the task and how many people need to hear. And that's something we need to hear about, Lisa, but, but it's something that can feel crushing. You know, how can I make any real difference? I mean, I'm one person, and I, you know, I'm not that talented, and I don't have that much money. What, what can I do? Whereas what Pentecostals do is they emphasize the Spirit's role in empowering you to obey. And so rather than thinking about the weightiness of the whole task, you think about what God is empowering you to do. And evidently, evidently, as the statistics show, um, being gift-driven is, is more powerful than being guilt-driven. And a lot of times, I think, for, for people like us, like you and me, we kind of just grow up thinking like, oh, there's so much to be done, I'm not doing enough. When we shift that to understand that the Holy Spirit has something very specific for you, a role that He wants you to play, some things He wants you to do today, some things He wants you to do with your career and the rest of your life, the question is no longer if you're called, the question is only where and how. Um, I love a, a phrase that I use a lot with our college students is, you know, not everything that comes from heaven has your name on it. Not every good task out there is something that God puts on your shoulders. Um, something has your name on it. And you need to understand, figure out what that is, and learn to obey God in it. So if you start asking the question, how are my gifts and talents and resources, how are they supposed to be used as a part of the Great Commission? That's not The Great Commission is not something that belongs to pastors or seminary-trained people. It, it belongs to, to the church. And when, when you and I grasp that, we start looking to the Spirit to say, What's the role that I'm supposed to play? One of the things I hope that what are you going to do with your life, that the, the book, one of the things I hope that it helped people in was to figure out how the Spirit is illuminating those things in their heart and how He is guiding them to that specific role He has for them to play. 
Yeah. Well, help us understand for a minute here then that how we get off the merry-go-round of differentiating between, um, you know, maybe we think that then being, uh, um, how would I say this, like, you know, what God is calling us to do, that it translates into influence and even importance. Because I'm finding, you know, and I get a little bit irritated when I see that even in the church, this is touted. Like, everyone's an influencer. People are out there on social trying to build their brand. We have Christian leadership seminars that are just basically training people to inflate themselves. So do we just walk away from that? I mean, where's the space for the the person who wants to quietly serve God and really prayerfully pursue souls and pursue people? Well, I, I, actually, I'm not sure if this is the answer you're looking for, Lisa, but I'll sort of give you a both and. I mean, okay. there's one sense in which, of course, you know, I want to be influential. If I love people, I want to influence them in the right things. And so if God brings you a level of influence, whether that's popularity in your college campus or whether it's, you know, a Twitter following of several hundred thousand or, you know, he's made you a movie star, then I hope that you will grab that influence and I hope that you will direct people's attention away from you and on to and on to Jesus. That said, I think what you said there at the end there was exactly right, that God does not call everyone to be world famous, and um, his, you know, his reward for faithfulness is not a large social media platform. I think once we, we get on the other side of eternity, what we're going to realize is that it was small acts of obedience that God used to do some of his greatest works. You can see it right in the book of Acts. And the most famous people in the book of Acts are clearly the apostles. Um, but one of the things I, I point out in the book is that if you look at the strategic turning points in the book of Acts, where the gospel really surged forward, um, with a, a considerable amount of irony, Luke, the author of the book of Acts, shows that the apostles were not involved in, in, in it. Um, the first one came at the, at the end of Acts 7, when... The first, that's the first time the gospel leaves the, the, the borders of Jerusalem. Even though Jesus had clearly told the disciples that they were supposed to carry it to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth, by the end of Acts 7, it's still there in Jerusalem. Well, it's a, an ordinary layman named Stephen whose faithfulness to the gospel causes it to burst out from the borders of Jerusalem. And, and Luke even goes out of his way to, to say that of all the people that left preaching the word, the apostles were not included. The other turning point comes in Acts 11, and that's the, the, the church at Antioch when it got founded. That would become the most influential church in the ancient world. It was founded by a bunch of people. Um, Luke just calls them some brothers. He doesn't even give us their names because we wouldn't recognize their names. They weren't influencers. They weren't that important, so to speak, but their faithfulness led to, to, to the planting of the church that would one day send out the Apostle Paul. What you and I have to understand is that there are small conversations. There are small acts of mercy and kindness. Um, there is faithfulness and integrity at, at a job that's faithfully raising children. Um, it is, it is, is, is a series of, of small faithful acts that God uses to accomplish His greatest things so that the praise won't go to us for our talent or our, the scope of our influence, but the praise will go to Him for what He could do with, with weak and broken but obedient vessels. Yeah. And I like how, uh, you know, really what he's given us is just what's right in front of us. We don't have to choose between a world of opportunities because we all, you know, I think it was Elizabeth Elliot who said, do the next thing um, you know, right. in that poem. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, that's what we can have confidence in doing uh, and moving forward uh, at the guidance of the Holy Spirit in that. 
Well, awesome. Um, Folks, the book is What Are You Going to Do With Your Life? We've been talking to J.D. Greer. And again, we want to actually make this book available to you. So this is uh, for a gift of any amount to Boundless, Boundless, which you already know and love here at Focus on the Family. Um, Just go to boundless.org. You can even search for 689. That's this week's episode. Um, You're going to see the book there. Just click on it. You give a gift uh, to us. We want to send this to you as our thank you to you and get you uh, just set up for getting some great insight and really motivation to uh, consider eternity in light of how you're living right now and move forward in that calling. So, J.D., thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank you, Lisa, for having me. Folks, well, I am here again to answer this week's inbox question. And as you know, we often finish out the show with an inbox question. And sometimes we have a counselor here to answer it, sometimes a pastor, another expert. Um, But today I'm going to take a stab at this one. So here is the question. There's a man I've known for almost two years who regularly messages me on Facebook. He's initiated all contact and seems interested in me. However, I don't want anything more than friendship with him. In responding to his messages, I'm polite, but I don't ask him a lot of questions. We live in different states, and neither of us wants to move to the other's home state. I also happen to like another guy I've known for over a year. I'm 41, and my friends tell me, don't settle. Yet part of me feels like if I don't give this guy who messages me a chance that I'll never get married. He's been the most consistent in trying to pursue me of any guys I know. Should I give him a shot, even though I don't have feelings for him, do not desire to move to his home state, and happen to like someone else? Okay, this is a good question. Um, And I'm going to kind of summarily say something here at the beginning that I think um, you've kind of answered your own question in the sense of, you know, that last statement I mean, oh my goodness, that sounds like the worst like rom-com plot line ever. You know, I don't really like this guy. I like someone else. I don't want to move to a state. I don't want (laughs) it's all the qualifications of why you don't think this thing's going to work out. I think that's kind of your answer. But let me give you a little bit of nuance to that. So, okay. so first off, put yourself in the shoes of someone who's asking this question about a job. So you're basically saying, you know, should I take this job if I don't like it? I don't want to move to another state to do it. And there's a job right here that I want to apply for instead. No one probably would think twice about saying, absolutely not. That's ridiculous. Don't even think about it. And so why should we be doing it for a relationship instead? But we tend to kind of cut corners and make excuses in light of that. So it seems ludicrous to us when we put it in another scenario. Um, I think you have some facts here that also kind of release you from having to pursue this in a way that I think you're wanting to pursue it. So uh, the fact is, this guy 
really isn't asking you. You don't have something to respond to yet here. You say that he's kind of reached out to you on Facebook. He talks to you from time to time, but he hasn't come forward and said, I want to pursue a relationship with you. So he's not really asking. Your lives aren't really aligning. So you've kind of, you would have a lot to work out there. It just doesn't seem like it's the time and the place to try to move this thing forward. Um, even if you felt like it would be a little forced if you did. Um, and it just, it seems kind of like everything around here, the situation, the details of it are are kind of forced, you know, kind of fabricated in order to make something happen that ultimately may not even happen. And so, um, you know, as I'm talking here, this is just sounding like a big old downer, but let me just continue. Um, the bigger question I think that you're asking in this is what do you do with the space that you're in? Because the fact is, you are 41. You said you are. Um, time marches on and you want to be married. That is all very real and that is all very true. Um, and the good news about this is that God knows all of that. God is very aware of your situation and he's aware of your heart. But God does not operate out of a scarcity mentality. You've probably heard me say this on the show recently because it's something I had to come to grips with. So remember um, that he is God. In fact, you've heard us talk recently uh, here at Boundless quite a bit about uh, the Chosen TV series and the Chosen book and how I got to go down to Texas and talk to these guys. Well, one thing that Dallas Jenkins, creator of The Chosen, told me uh, was this idea or this this thought that God planted in his head, and that is that God does impossible math. And that is very true. And that applies to the circumstances of our life of just like, we don't know what God has up his sleeve because he's the one guy who can really seriously have legit things up his sleeve. And we can wait for them and trust in them. Um, so I would say, you know, you can rest in the fact that God can work something out. I mean, if if he wants something with this guy, something else is going to align. Something's going to happen. Your heart's going to turn. I also want to say as a final caveat here, um, don't waste your time pining for this local guy either, though, because if he's not asking, like, that just seems kind of for now, a little dead in the water too, okay? So not to be a big downer about that, but what you can do right now, what you do have right in front of you is the fact that you're single today. You can live your life right where you are. Um, you know people who know people who know people. You can be kind to this online guy and you can be kind to the guy in real life who you're interested in. You can be kind to other people who you have not met yet. Um, but you have life to be living and trust God's intentions for your life. A couple verses as we finish up. I love Psalm twenty-seven, fourteen that says, uh, wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Uh, God has his timeline and he will work it out. And then Matthew seven eleven, uh, this idea that, you know, if earthly parents know how to give good gifts to their children, even in all their imperfection, I think, in fact, there are a couple translations that say evil parents <laughs> in the evil of our hearts, how much more the father has good gifts for us. And so trust in that. And I think you'll be on your way. So hopefully that's encouraging to you and you can move on and just be like, okay, let me get about my business, not feel like I have to make something happen because my time's running out. God knows and he's with you. All right, folks. Well, that's it for this week's show. I do want to hear from you. Write to us at editor at boundless.org with a question or just with a hey, and we would love to get back to you. I will see you around next week. This is Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of boundless.org. Focus on the family. You've read accounts in the Bible of how Christ impacted so many people. 
but we really know very little about the lives of those early followers of Jesus. The Chosen, I Have Called You By Name, imagines what life was like for those who followed Christ. Based on the widely acclaimed TV series The Chosen, this Focus on the Family book by best-selling author Jerry Jenkins brings color and depth to the people surrounding Christ. You can find out more at focusonthefamily.com slash chosen.